Now, we didn't get a chance to speak to Batman uh, on the Ronnie Markell Maker Podcast show. But we did speak to someone who writes about Batman. Yes, we did. So this is the opener. As you, We were going to do this really quick because we wanted to jump right into the show. Uh, we got a chance to speak to not only... Uh, Grant Morrison. I mean, we didn't get a chance to meet the Grant oh, Morrison. Oh, wait, I'm just kidding. Just joking. <laughs> no Grant Morrison here. Uh, but not yet. I won't say not yet. Yeah, Grant, not we're yet. looking for you. Uh, but before we get to Grant, we have to start with the great and powerful Snyder. Scott Snyder. Wait, it's not Zack Snyder? I thought it was Zack Snyder. No, not, no he doesn't make terrible movies. This is, the wow. com- this is the comic book guru, Scott Snyder. Comic book guru. If you don't know Scott Snyder, where are you living under rock and Street? Hey, you know what? You may be one of our audience members who just deals with wrestling, and that's okay. But you need to definitely jump over into comics. Uh, because this guy is just doing the Lord's work and writing all of the greatest stories that you've read of Batman within at least like the last 10 years. It's just... Kicking ass, taking names, cats and dogs, living together. <laughs> what? Where's that from? Ghostbusters. Oh, I was not... A- Wait, that's Bill Murray, wasn't it? Yep, but back to Scott Snyder. It's all good. No, no nothing wrong with that. Uh, so again, to be very quick and blunt, uh, we got a chance to speak to Scott Snyder. We're going to talk to him about a little bit of the Batman stuff, and you're going to hear about some future projects uh, that are coming up. Um, he's going to dive a little bit into Justice League number 19 and a little bit of other stuff. We're going to talk. You're going to learn something very, very important. Are you ready for this? Spoilers. Countdown. Three, two, two one. one. His One of his favorite foods. Oh, you didn't even know that was coming. Bear, bear, bear. Oh, my God. Listen, we're not going to waste your time any further. Without further ado, the great, the powerful, DC Comics' own Scott Snyder. Uh, yes, yes, it is. How are, hey, how are you? Hey, how are you guys doing, Scott? Uh, doing all right. I'm uh, I'm so sorry it took so long to to do this. It's completely my fault. I uh, it's been so crazy here, though. I swear, between like pregnancy stuff and baby stuff and work and you know regular parenting and <laughs> oh, <laughs> all totally. of it, it's been a bit of a, a bit of a zoo. We totally understand. Life happens. No big deal. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I'm so glad we could do it. So, whatever, I'll talk about anything you want, and whatever you want to, whatever you want to, um, yeah, whatever you want to sort of cover, I'm game. Okay, so we want to talk about uh, the current war in Korea. And, <laughs> no, I'm just, no, I'm just kidding. No, I'm kidding. I'm yeah, kidding. I'm, <laughs> believe me, I've talked about. Uh, I've been on interviews where they're just like, all we want to talk about is when you worked at Disney World. So, <laughs> all right, sure. Sure. <laughs> so, I mean, we're we're ours is a pretty uh, unscripted interview. We pretty much like to get to know. Uh, 
the person we're talking with because we want to become friends with you, but also to kind of let our audience know. I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there that, you know, can easily be Wikipedia or Googled, but we kind of like to find out, you know, as much as possible about you so people can get to know you, Scott. As well as well oh, as yeah, as well as Batman. But we oh, like well, gonna, we like to, <laughs> but we like to know about the man behind, you know, behind the keyboard as well. I feel like you wanted to say the man behind the bat. I yeah, know you wanted yeah, to say I, it. I, I did. I know it. Yeah. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> All right. So uh, for our audience out there, uh, um, the Scott that you hear on the phone, that is Scott Snyder, uh, the one and only uh, Scott Snyder. Uh, he's worked for various different companies, uh, including Marvel and DC, is currently writing on Justice League and uh, an amazing uh, Batman Who Laughs series. And uh, is also, along with the amazing artist Greg Capullo, uh, is working on so many different projects. Uh, but before we get into that, we have to start at his humble beginnings. <laughs> uh, so um, uh, what, what we normally do with all of our guests is we kind of throw out a nice little icebreaker. Uh, so are you ready, Scott? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So um, very simply put, if you could have an endless supply of any food, what would you get and why? Oh man, any food. <laughs> well, my kids always see me. I'm like, oh, I eat more popcorn than anybody on our, in our house. Always, we just they just made we were watching Creed two like two minutes ago, and they make it, and then they always make one bag because I eat it, and then they'll make a second one secretly for themselves. So, as unhealthy and completely useless as it is, I would probably my favorite treat for myself is popcorn. I was like a growing up, I was a heavy kid, and then I when I hit about thirteen. I was like, I have to, I have to do something about this. <laughs> I'm like, I, you know, I, I discovered girls and hit puberty and all that. And so I kind of, I, I went on a diet that has lasted since I was about 13 years old to now. So I have very few things that I indulge in other than like, you know, I enjoy a drink. I enjoy, uh, you know, popcorn. <laughs> That's about it. Otherwise, like, I'm built to be a very, very heavy person. <laughs> I'm like that's I'm designed to be like, you know, about three times the size I am. So I have to be really careful. So for me, that's almost like a dessert. Nice. That nice. is that's actually my favorite snack as well, popcorn. But but, but for me, it's specifically popcorn from the movie theater. I'm like that. You know, it has to oh, be 100%. Movie. Dude, yeah. It has to be whatever the closest thing is here. I, I used to love, I grew up in the era of like the actual Jiffy Pop on the stove. Yeah. It, it like, remember it blew up in the tin foil. <laughs> and then if you did it too long, it would like completely explode or catch on fire. Yeah. It was like the worst fire hazard, but it was awesome. I, that's actually funny because I remember, uh, like, Ronnie's my brother, so I remember growing up. Um, and the first time we ever made, I don't know if Ronnie remembers this, but the first time we ever made Jiffy Pop, it did catch like a serious fire. Oh, and, like, yeah, yeah. Our parents told oh, us, totally. like, don't do this by yourselves. <laughs> like, Ronnie's my older brother, so like he was the older one, and she's like, don't worry, I got this. And then uh, we were watching some movie, and she's like, you smell something? And we ran in the kitchen, and it's a full on <laughs> fireball that she's sitting on the stove. And she's like, what do you do? And we like wind up running the fireball through the house, and we threw it in the toilet. It was. Uh, pretty amazing That's time. I feel like you know, high risk, high reward. It was good. Yeah. <laughs> I, <feel back> <laughs> uh, I love how all our stuff. I swear, I've been growing up in the '80s. It's like 
It was just like your blankets were just made of flammable asbestos. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean, it was it was just like yeah. I just once you hitchhike home, it was just never. I don't know. I feel like it was a different era. Do they still make <laughs> those blankets? So. Do they still make those blankets? Like uh, oh man, I go to my grand my uh, my uh, grandparents' old house. You should see it was insane. You'd go upstairs and it would be like. Things made of asbestos, painted lead. In fact, like we have this. It's funny. I love my mother to death, but she uh, she used to be obsessed with this this bassinet that was like handed down from my grandparents to us. And uh, she was like, I, she had been in it, and I had been in it, and whatever. And it was like wicker with like lead paint all over it oh, with wow. like wicker splinters like sticking. It looked like the Rosemary's Baby, like the demonic. <laughs> thing and she was like oh come on it's like family tradition I was like you know what I mean I'm looking at I was just like I'm not putting my kid in that thing you know or whatever and then anytime I'd leave I feel like she and my dad would be like take a picture of a minute quick it's like the spikes of wicker with the things pointed at the tetanus and all that stuff you just be like but that was it that was the 80s man that was you know 70s and 80s it was like you know, you live free and wild, the, and then, you know, you died young. The 80s, <laughs> you made it through. The 80s you was definitely... Through. You made it through, you lost weight, and now here you are to eat popcorn and do podcasts. Exactly. <laughs> the 80s was definitely one of the best errors. That's what makes my comics, yeah, so dark. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think that definitely, um, I could see in your work a lot of the influences of, uh, like, 80s work and, like, earlier work before. What do you think, I'm, I'm very curious... In terms of the way you write Batman, like I'm a huge comic nerd and I love, I've been, you know, looking at comic books forever, especially Batman. Um, what do you think is significantly different about the way you write Batman and, you know, maybe say like, um, you know, any other writer before you? Like, sure. you know, what do you think? Well, it took me a while. That's a great question. I mean, it took me a while to kind of put my finger on, on, on sort of my version and, when I started, I think, you know, I, first of all, you're always just terrified. I mean, I still, I still get terrified when I start a Batman story. And, you know, you're like, Batcave, panel one. And it just, you know, it, it, <laughs> it, it, it stops you, you know. And Alfred's there being like, all right, come on, it's time. You know, and you're like, oh, I can't do it. It's paralyzing because you grew up on these the stories for these, this character that were so seminal to you. So, um, you know, when I was doing, uh, the easiest was, was Black Mirror because I was terrified, but I was positive that they, I would get one shot and then they would fire me. Because <laughs> I had no, I had no idea that like, I would, I really thought it was like, okay, they're going to hire me for 12 issues. I have this much, everyone's looking over at Grant Morrison, rightly so. Cause he's awesome. Uh, I'll, be able to do this kind of off-color, really personal Batman story. And then by the time they realize, like, this isn't really that mainstream, like, I'll be, I'll, you know, I'll have done it and put one on the shelf. It's my, the best I can do. And so, and um, it was also with Dick Grayson, and Dick Grayson wears his heart on his sleeve, you know? So he's yes. he's really easy to write for a, somebody who's, like, terrified of writing Batman, but also excited because that's how he was about being Batman. So mm -hmm. it was so great. It was just like, we're going to get along, you know, famously here where he's like, he, he would, because the guy could narrate from his point of view, and he'd be like, I don't know about this. Uh, am I really good enough to be Batman? And it was like exactly how I was feeling, you know? So, but then when I hit uh, Bruce Wayne... Uh, I was really paralyzed, you know, with the new 52. It took me a couple of weeks to even be able to, uh, you know, accept it. Because, A, I was not ready in my head to write Bruce. 
I had another year of Dick Grayson in my head. And then B, uh, uh, they told me it was going to be Batman number one. And I just, it, it was overwhelming. So Court of Owls was really, <clears throat> you know, me putting on the horse blinders and just being like, okay, same thing as Black Mirror. You got 12 issues to tell a story that's really personal to you. The best thing you can do for Batman. You'll never get another chance. What is that? And it was <clears throat> less about Bruce, I think, than it was about Gotham. You know, it was kind of about uh, the idea that I was at a point in my life then, I can't even believe I'm saying how long ago it was, but I mean, I started thinking about that story 10 years ago almost now. When um, I grew up in the city, you know, in New York City down in by Stuyvesant Town and that stuff on like the Lower East Side, and uh, we would go down to Chinatown and the South Street Sea Park a lot. Me and my me and my friends, and that area is so old, you know, down by Wall Street. I was always fascinated by the idea of all these different generations and and how much life had gone on that I would never know. And I was struck at that time in my life when I would come back from living out. I live about two hours out of the city now. Out in, town on the North Shore and the water, I would come back with my wife or come back in and how, how my old neighborhood had completely changed. Nobody I knew lived there anymore or any of that stuff. And that sense of, well, I love Batman. He helped me through many dark times. And his power is kind of knowing his environment, knowing the city so well that he knows how to show it to be the best of itself constantly by determination. And yet uh, he can only know it for a brief moment. So what if I weaponized its history against him and, and had it sort of suddenly overwhelm him to show him some sense of humility about it? Like, you know me right now, but you didn't know me five years ago or 10 years ago or 100 years ago, and you won't know me in five, 100 years in the future. So that story, not to get so long-winded, was, was definitely about Bruce and his confidence, mm -hmm. but it was still kind of Gotham-based, you know? Mm -hmm. So... For me, I think the first time I really began to dig into who he was for me or my version was Zero Year, you know? The relationship between him and the Joker was my version of it in Death of the Family, but Zero Year was where I like got to deconstruct him and put him back together. And I really wrote that one for my kids. You know, my my older son at that time, he had a tremendous fear of school shootings. He he got once he was out in a he was getting water in the hallway and they did a shooter drill and um, they didn't realize he was in the hallway. And then for the rest of the year, he was so scared. He always brought a thermos to school because he didn't want to go get water ever again. Oh, wow. And um, I know it made me realize that his fears and my, my younger son's fears were so intensely different than mine when I grew up in the 80s. And DC had been pushing me to do an origin because most of the characters had had a new origin in the 52. But we had kept Batman's as it was. But at this point... Uh, Batman Year One wouldn't fit anymore because it changes the Catwoman's history and Jim Gordon's history and Barbara's history and all that kind of stuff. So it just didn't fit. So I, I decided I'd do it. And I wanted him to face off with things that would be sort of stand-ins for my kids' fears, gun violence and terrorism and super storms and kind of post-apocalyptic situations and all of those kinds of things and have battle scenes if they were overseas look like the kinds of kind of um, military operations that we see on the news now, have everything look hyper-modern and do it in such a way where even the colors, everything felt kind of punk rock or almost rebellious and it's anti kind of antithesis to year one. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and so that was when I kind of drilled down and said to myself, what do I, what am I doing with Batman is different with this character. And I think partly what it is at the end of the day is that I wanted him to be less a figure that kind of scared bad guys back into the shadows than somebody who kind of inspired good people to come out into the light by example. And so there was more, as dark as the stories are, I always tried to bring an element of levity and kind of bravado and fun to the book. And on top of that, have him really be a stand-in for, you know, to, to be the kind of hero we need today, which is, again, instead of kind of the way he was when I was a kid, which was needed at that time to say, you know, the city is redeemable, all that kind of stuff. I'm going to take on bad guys and provincial ways and, you know, the demon, the possessed kind of, you know, uh, really troubled demon bat. It was all needed, I think, at that moment. Now I feel like we need somebody who says our problems are so huge and so overwhelming sometimes. I'm going to face these giant, larger-than-life villains that represent those things and my own fears in some ways in these huge battles across the city so that you can be brave in the face of whatever it is that is scaring you right now, whether it's a huge overarching kind of systemic problem that faces the whole world or it's something that's just a personal demon. And so I tried to put him up against those things in ways that were always inspiring to the city, having him out in daylight, having him, you know, uh, have really badass kind of one-liners in front of the whole city, always trying to be public, riding a motorcycle into, you know, Times Square, encouraging the city to come out and fight, giving speeches as Bruce Wayne, being really civically active as Bruce Wayne. All that kind of stuff was important to me to show that he was sort of trying to get the city to be the best version of itself, as Batman is supposed to say, you know, I took this terrible thing that happened to me and use it to become the best version of myself possible. Um, and, you know, and hopefully that kind of translates to to you guys in terms of the city. So that that's kind of, I think that's what's different. It's different between me and the things that influenced me, like Frank Miller and Denny O'Neill and even the animated stuff, which was more focused on the, I think, subsidiary characters and that stuff and what separates me from Tom and who has a very different project and Grant, who is a really different project too. So, you know, yeah. I tried to bring some emotion and, a real, uh, at least a personal, a personal kind of emotionality to it that had to do with the things that I wanted him to mean for my kids. One thing, I definitely think that you do well is it with with every Batman story you do, you always kind of pull Batman back and then you build him up even better than the last time. So um, thanks. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, taking it back a step, um, I was wondering how did you get your initial job with DC? Uh, how did you get your contract with them? Well, it was funny because I, I was working. I always wanted to be a comic book writer. I mean, I wanted to be a comic book writer and artist all the way through high school. I had a portfolio and the whole thing. And uh, then I got to college, and um, I just couldn't find a place to train, really, for illustrative art You know, while I was doing writing. And it was at a moment when there was a lot of um, excitement in the book world for new writers and books it was the you know the 90s and there was money in the economy for books and so there was just a sense of not not that I thought it was going to be a payday but I mean that people that were trying different things that were blends of like superhero stuff or or crazy comedic stuff or young people that were irreverent were getting book deals and so there was a sense of possibility to it to do stuff that was like the stuff I liked so 
I wound up studying that, and then I um, wound up getting lucky, and I went to graduate school for it. And then I kind of um, went through my lean years where I I taught, uh, you know, taught high school and tutored and worked jobs and that stuff, trying to um, put a book together. And I was lucky enough that I sold I sold a book and a two I sold two books, a short story collection and a novel. And I was working on the novel. And the economy was sort of spiraling, and there was just a sense of of um, that anyone that had a book deal, if you didn't deliver a bestseller with that book deal, they were never going to pay you. Because when you get a book deal, not to get too down a rabbit hole, but when you get a book deal, essentially, most of the time, they give you some money up front, but a lot of it is weighted towards the end. So like today, oh, <laughs> wow. see how the book does. <laughs> so for me, um, you know, the whole deal was really more of once they accepted the second book to the novel rather than a short story collection. So this is like 2005, 2006. I'm working on this book, and it's clear to me, it's about a barnstormer who's trying to cross the country in the early teens and what the country was like back then. It was pretty fun, but I really love it. But anyway, they um, and they liked it, but it was clear that like it wasn't going to be, you know, it, it, it was not the Hunger Games, you know what I mean, or whatever. <laughs> And so I started to realize they're not going to take this book. And they, they were really nice, but they were pretty clear about that, too. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was in a spiral because we had bought a house. It had never occurred to me that they wouldn't accept the book and that the economy would change and everything would change. And, you know, we had a kid at that time, my, my older son. And so I was – it was a really dark period where I was, like, working, doing everything I could to, to make ends meet and, you know, like – working everywhere, driving into the city, tutoring kids, working at Barnes and Noble or Starbucks, anything I could do. Um, but we were just broke. And, uh, I got an offer from uh, a buddy of mine to, to write a story that was, uh, wouldn't pay anything, but was about a superhero for a superhero collection about writers make up new superheroes. And I started writing it and my wife was just like, why are you doing that? It doesn't pay any money. Like if you, <laughs> if you finish that book and I was like, I really, you know, I just need like two weeks to just do something that actually makes me happy with writing. Cause I have my dream job in terms of, I have a book deal, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, depra- I'm miserable over here. And she was like, all right, go for it. So I wrote the story and it caught the eye of comic book editors and they came to the launch for that book from Marvel and DC. And they asked me if I was a comic fan. I had comics in my bag. I was like, yeah, I'm a huge comic fan. I've always wanted to do comics. And they asked me if I wanted to pitch, and so I did. And, uh, again, my wife was like, why are you pitching for these comics? <laughs> I was like, pay us, pay us barely any, because it did. It paid barely any money at that time, too. You know, I mean, I was a brand new kid. And um, I said the same thing. I'm like, listen, you know what? I'm really because it's the first time in, in three or four years, I've been working on the second thing for two to three years. You know, I was like, it's the first time in a few years. I'm really happy with my work, honestly, and, and enjoy going to it. And I was drinking too much. It was just like a mess, you know, and she was great. She was like, well, let's take out another loan and, you know, do it, do what's going to make you happy. I don't care if it makes any money. And then, you know, God bless her. She's awesome. And then she, I did and, and Marvel, I, things moved. Like I did a couple of little things for Marvel and then, um, DC, they get, they were really, you know, they always get competitive. They were like, who's this kid? And then DC was like, do you have any indie ideas? And I was like, I do. And I pitched American vampire and that went through. (laughs) Yeah. After it took a while, it got rejected. And yeah, there was a lot of ups and downs, but basically within about a year since I got my first Marvel gig, I wound up being, DC exclusive and it's just, you know, it's always, it's 
I just got in right at the right time, dude. I got so, I've been so lucky on every front. I really don't know who I killed in like some other life and sacrificed the <laughs> devil or whatever. But like they, I got like, you know, I came in and I, again, I had to, you know, Dick Grayson, I got to do and Batman just the right way. And, um, you know, cause Grant was doing his thing and they didn't really care what I was doing. And then I happened to get on Batman right at the court of Owl, right at number one. And they hooked me up with Greg and, you know, and then I got to do witches and indie stuff right at the height of that excitement around image. And, you know, and now I'm at a point where I can do events and I have a corporate contract with DC where I, um, help coordinate events such as metal and, and other things like you're the villain and also, you know, train some of the writers coming in nice. and yeah, it's great. I so I've just been really lucky with it. So it's been, I'm looking forward to doing a lot of more of my own stuff soon. Like a lot more of my create, going back to creator owned a bit more still staying in superheroes, but sort of shifting the weight of stuff towards that after the next year and a half, we have a couple big things. We have justice league really ramps up into this year of the villain storyline where Lex Luthor sort of it elevates all of the villains in the DCU in a really fun way over the summer and that spills into the books and then we do uh, a kind of culmination of that in fall and that rolls into Justice Do More for us which is the finale of our Justice League first couple years and then um, that rolls into the biggest if we get it together and we can do it we'll do the biggest thing we've done so far in winter about a little under a year from now. And then and then I can really be like, you know what? I've done so much of the superhero stuff I've wanted to do. I'll probably still do a superhero book, you know, or two. But I need I need to get back to do, do more of my own stuff, whether I do it at Vertigo or do it at Image or I don't know where, but I just need to do it. I've started doing it on the side. So I have three or four books I'm working on tinkering with with different artists that are generally the people I work with you know, over the years. So I'm really excited. Okay. Well, that, that to me, I, you know what I find most interesting about when we, when we're looking into like your earlier work, I just found it so amazing that you got a chance to write, uh, two combo characters that are so similar in the sense of Tony Stark, um, for, you know, Iron Man Noir and then going into Batman. And I'm like, Oh, well this guy did Tony, Starks and Iron Man, yes. Like, so how do you feel writing those two top tier characters? I mean, I guess Iron Man is more top tier from a movie standpoint because, like, he didn't really get that like elevated Spider Man status t- in comics until, until the, movie, yeah, the, the movies yeah, with Robbie Downey. Uh, cinematic, you, yeah. Yes. So how do you? How, how did you find writing? Um, what was some of the sort of similarities in the way you wrote uh, the noir story and then coming into Batman? Like, how do you feel those characters are related, but what also makes them very unique? Well, it's fun. I mean, Marvel, they just have different attitudes, both companies, and that filters down into the characters. I think Marvel is really, you know, being born in the 60s, they have, I think, more of a kind of a flawed hero kind of... Um, I think more of a flawed hero template where the heroes are, you know, really um, layered and they're really full of different kind of anxieties and, and, you know, demons and all that stuff from go, you know, they're, they're very human and they're, 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 they're from, you know, the very first heroes of the Marvel universe are kind of created that way. 
Whereas I think DC is more aspirational. They're from the thirties mm-hmm. and there's more of a sense of, you know, we'll get through this depression together. <laughs> kind of like that. And the heroes wind up being extremely layered. Like, you know, Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman are incredibly rich characters as are the rest. But I think they almost kind of, it's like you almost start with the heroism first, sometimes with DC and then the the stuff beneath the surface is what you dig down to because it's there just the same way as it is with Marvel characters. But DC characters are more kind of chest out forward first. You know what I mean? And I think Marvel is almost more you begin with the 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 human the human the humanity of them and then build up to the hero, the Steve Rogers who was this guy before he became a hero. The you know, Peter Parker is a nerd and gets bitten by a thing the spider the fantastic four is and there's a moment when they're you're really with them before that batman was already batman when you met batman they told his origin story after he was batman you don't have any time with him as a kid you learn his origin i think it was batman number one or whatever but he'd been in detective comics as batman for a while Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying so it's kind of like Superman's origin sold in like, this is who he, how he got here, but like, doesn't matter, here he is, you know, like that. <laughs> so it doesn't mean that they're any less deep. They're not at all. They're just as deep. But I think there's a kind of like, with DC, there's more of a, like I said, like an aspirational kind of sort of veneer that kind of goes with like hero first, and then you drill down and you see who they are. I think with Marvel, it kind of begins with who they are, and you build to the hero a bit. So, you know, Tony Stark for me is very much like uh, a guy who really has all of these complexes about his father and the idea that, you know, he he is sort of compensating for, I think, you know, the sense that he's just human with all of these kind of crazy machines he can build and this sense of wanting to be a hero and bigger than he is and all of that. He's burdened with this sense of loneliness and, you know, Batman to me is like, I'm Batman first, like, <laughs> like that first. And then you, you drill down and get to the other stuff, which is really rewarding when you do, you know, but at first, you know, he, he's kind of the fun is like that silhouette. He shows up and you're like, Oh, he's going to kick somebody's ass. This is going to be good. You know? <laughs> and it's that kind of, that kind of, yes, you know, in that way. So I'd, I would love to write Iron Man again though. Now that I'm more experienced. I mean, I didn't even know you, I was like, 18 panels this page you know when i wrote <laughs> for marvel i was so green i didn't understand how to do it really and i worked with some really nice people who helped me but now that i'm a bit more veteran i would love to go back i mean i really i intend to go back there sometime you know i mean i i don't have any grand designs right now i'm not like guess what you know, i'm going in six months but i mean um i really want to finish the big superhero stuff i'm doing at dc I have some more characters at DC I'd love to write. You know, I'm playing it by year after Justice League and um, some of the stuff we're building too. Plastic like Man. That. And, and, but there are characters over there. I mean, I'd love to write Spider-Man. I have an idea. Hulk is the one that I really want to write. Hulk and Captain America and Wolverine. Uh-huh. <laughs> I have an idea for all. I have one for all of them. Hulk is the one I think Capullo and I would really have fun with Hulk and I have an idea for a story called Smash Everything. Oh, wow. What? It says Hulk Smash Everything. And that's it. It's like, that's the title. And it goes back to the Gamma Bomb and the whole thing. I'm really, really love to do it. I have a pitch. I told C.B. Sabolsky once, I was like, I have a pitch. 
I want to do Wolverine, and I want to do Cap, and I want to do Ghost Rider individually. But I also want to do a book with all three of them together riding motorcycles. And I was like, <laughs> so badass. And I'm like, because they're all of the characters that have, have lived a long time through different... So I wanted it to be like the secret adventures they've been on, the cases that they've been trying to solve together over the years that nobody knows about on their motorcycles. <laughs> if, if anyone so. from Marvel hears this for sure, they're going to call you tomorrow and they're going to they're gonna just show up like, oh, just in the neighborhood. Like, but you live all the way on the other <laughs> side of the world. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, I was here. Can, do you have a minute? You know, I got some lunch. You know, they could bring it in. Would you? Um, oh, I love those. We're all friends, dude. That's the thing. Like, people get this sense of the industry being competitive and and i mean it's competitive you know people but it's not it's good hearted dude nobody gets into this for the payday or carpet bags and comics you know what i'm saying like Mm -hmm. why would you there's no money first of all until you i mean there is like you know i do well now (laughs) but i mean like i didn't get into it for the money you know i I told my wife when we got married she was going to be a doctor and i was like you're always going to be the bread earner in the <laughs> I, I love what I do, and I'm I'm really have trained at it. Like I'm I'm good at it. You know, I I I went to writing programs in the summer when other kids this, and you know, I did camp for writers like a total geek, and I did, you know, I went to graduate school for two years, and I'm in huge debt for it. I was like, I've paid my dues, you know, to do this, but I don't know that I'll ever make a living, but. You know, I'm, I, I can teach and whatever. So, you know, um, the idea that somebody would get into comics to be like, what the glamour and the money is so, <laughs> so dumb that I'm just like, I can't even wrap my head around it. So, you know, the point I'm trying to make is just that there's Marvel over here, DC over here, Image over here. But at the end of the day, we all get into it for love of comics. You know what I mean? There's no, this is not an industry that attracts people because they're, trying to moonlight to make extra money or something like that you know that that doesn't last even if you have that crazy idea you know we're in it because we love the characters we love the we love the whole craft of it and we love the readership you know what i mean i love the fans dude we have a blast i mean i'm extremely extremely grateful i love that's why i'm I'm on the podcast with you dude it's fun (laughs) to meet people that care about the same things you do and get out there and celebrate them. And you might not agree, you know, with people about a take on a character. Believe me, I've been called everything in the book. I mean, when you write Batman, which people are very passionate about, <laughs> <Yes>. you know, <laughs> for a while, and you do anything that <laughs> rocks the boat in any way. And our stuff has <clears throat> done well enough, I think, that people kind of consider it pre-establishment at this point in some ways. You know, like, Meaning, like, it's not outlier, radical Batman, like our run anymore or anything, but it's more like, that was a run on Batman. But the stuff we did, when you think about it, like, we gave Jim Gordon a psychopathic son. Mm -hmm. You know, I gave Batman a possible brother, a younger (laughs) brother, uh, through the wings. Joker ripped his own face off and then, you know, did it to Jason and whatever, whatever. We redid his origin. And then we had Jim Gordon be Batman with a robot money suit thing. I mean, you know, we were always trying to take risks and be out there and create new characters, Harper and Duke and different characters. And so, yeah, I got called, you know, everything. 
I got called SJW this, whatever, whatever. I got called racist. I got called every. You get oh, wow. everything. <laughs> oh yeah, you have to develop the skin and be able to be like, you know, I'm doing this because I love these characters and they're angry at me and they're saying these things to me because they love the characters. And at the end of the day, that's okay. You know what I mean? As long and once they, you get personally insulting or whatever, which is you know threatening or whatever. Then you know you get you all mute you or whatever. But I only have a few people blocked. I just ignore it, you know. And I have a, <laughs> well, that's I have also a pretty good thick skin at this point. You're not going to rattle me and make me like come after you on Twitter. You know what I mean? I just don't do that stuff anymore. But it's mostly just that. Again, like the the kind of the thing I'm trying to say, and then my wife will kill me if I don't go upstairs in a sec. Is that um, you know uh, ultimately. I might have a vehemently different idea of, of where a character should go than a reader, but I know that they are angry about that because they have a love and a passion for the character. What I hope they understand is that very few people come in to do comics for any other reason than that, than that same reason, or take a character and try and write that character for any other reason than that same reason. Meaning, they might do something that's radical, or they might do something really conventional, but they're doing a thing that's personal to them generally, and that they think is the right direction. And as much as our stuff now is more, has a kind of coat of like nostalgia and, and the fact that oh, you know that went, it went over well. We every arc upset people that we did. <laughs> we did it. You know what I mean? I got yelled at for everything while we were doing it. You know, I got yelled at for Jim Gordon's son. And then I got yelled at for, you know, the Court of Owls was why Batman too stupid that he didn't know that existed. And what do you mean he had a brother? <laughs> I'm kill you. Yeah, you get a lot of that stuff. So anyway, the point, the, and I don't want to end on that note that I was <laughs> I'm trying to end on the note that we're all in it for like love of comics and we love it together. And I hope people out there can remember that when you disagree with somebody about a creator, they're not in it for anything other than the same thing you're 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 in it for. You know what I mean? Because it's not there's not anything else in it. Oh, definitely. <laughs> Until you know you do it a few years, sure you make a living. But I'm just saying, like, you know, that's nobody's like trying to nobody's here like trying to mine gold in comics and <laughs> strike it rich quick or something <laughs> like that. So that's just not not where it is. But they'll kill me too. Uh, the way I I like Digital DC really they're always on me about like doing official this and official that and i love doing stuff myself like this like meeting people and doing things but i'm gonna be a good good soldier and let me promote justice league too for 30 seconds or less absolutely oh, absolutely definitely I, don't, I can justify getting to actually do what i like to do which is talk to people in non-official ways well, for sure, definitely. Uh, at this point, um, this, the floor is yours. We always ask all of our uh, guests. Um, you know, there's people out there in our audience who are looking to get into, um, you know, writing and all different aspects of the comic industry. Um, and you always ask our guests just to, you know, sort of part impart some words of wisdom on them so that they can feel like, you know, they can make it where you are and you know do the amazing stories that you've done in Marvel and DC and. You know, in in image as well. So um, I, don't, I don't know why when you said that I was you. thinking. No, no, a uh, hundred. I love that kind of uh, question and advice. I mean, um, for me, the best advice I can give is it depends on what stage you're at. Like, if you're really just beginning and you're listening to this and you 
you don't know how to break in in a way. Really, I know it sounds tough, but the way you break in nowadays is to start making your own comics. And the way you do that is to write them and find, like, get a book like Words, uh, Words, uh, the Brian Bendis one is like Words for Pictures or Words for Pictures. Mm -hmm. The Denny O'Neill one is great. Also, you know, people sell comic strips for very cheap or post them. Jim Zub has a whole library of them on, on Twitter. You can find them. Um, and his Patreon and that stuff. You can find comic scripts, just learn the form a little bit. You know, try and dissect the comics you read. Look at a page when you read a comic, like if you read Justice League. There you go. See, look at that horish, totally. <laughs> uh, plug for my own stuff. Justice League 19 this week starts our biggest arc yet, our best arc. If you pick that one up with Jorge Jimenez, who's an incredible artist and the handsomest dude in all of comics, <laughs> and you look at page one and you're like, oh, look at this page. How many panels is that? Oh, look, so this this would be page one, you know, five panels, six panels, whatever. You know, uh, tr try and try and script the comics you love. Like, look at it if you don't know the script. Anyway, once you have your script, you got to find an artist. You can go to Pencil Jack, DeviantArt, meet them at cons. That's really good, a good way to do it. Walk Artist Alley, make your own comic. That means you're going to have to pay your artist or you're going to have to go into it and be like, I'll pay you once we do this, or we're 50-50 if this becomes a movie, whatever it is. Do not use DC Marvel characters. They will not look at that stuff. This has to be your original comic. Once you have that, you post it online, or you bring it to conventions. I would suggest doing it digitally online because it looks nice and it's easier. You know, And that's what you use to approach other artists, other creators, other editors. Go to cons. Try and get a booth if you can. If you can't, that's fine. Try and meet people in the community that way. Show them your work. And that's your resume. The work you make yourself is your resume. It used to be like you could pitch ideas or pitch whatever to Marvel or DC. That, those days are long gone. They do not accept that. There's no way you're going to come in and pitch a story. Zero way you're going to come in and pitch a story. They're going to take it and let you write it. It's basically like going to a professional sports team and being like, I have a great play for you, but I need to court, I need to QB it or I need to point guard. You know, they're just going to be like, who? <laughs> you know, give us a play. Goodbye. Thank you. You know what I mean? So I'm just telling you, it's just a fact. You you have to make your own work, you know, in whatever medium, but like hopefully comics. I mean, I got in through books. You can get in through other things, but do comics if you want comics and use it as a resume, you know, break in. And that's how you do it. I swear. Like that's, that's, that's the safe route. <laughs> that's the safest. It's unpredictable and whatever, but it's somebody who like wanted to do this as a kid and then took other routes, like doing books, doing this, doing that. That's the most direct route. Make your stuff, use it as your resume, and show it to people. Get to know the community online and at cons. And, you know, you'll even, that's the thing is like, you'll start loving just making your own stuff and making your own stuff. Ultimately, you might not even want to go work for Marvel or DC. You might just make your own stuff. And nowadays, Places like Netflix and Hulu and whatever, everything's so aggressive about picking up indie comics because everyone wants their own IP, intellectual property, for their own shows and stuff like that. I mean, it's a wild west right now, you know, because everybody, they consume entertainment differently. You know, everybody's like, oh, we have a show nobody else has. This and this and this. And comics, because they're sequential and visual, you know, they're a perfect medium to adapt. So I'm just saying... You might find yourself in indie comics and stay in indie comics because there's a lot of 
there's a lot of interest in it from other medium too, you know, just as a way of making a sustainable living. Not that like use comics to get somewhere else. I'm just saying ultimately there's a lot of excitement right now in superhero comics because of the interest because of film and TV and the way that everybody says the comic industry is dying, but we're expanding in all kinds of realms too. Not just digital, but also, you know, um, graphic novels overseas, all kinds of stuff prestige and that so and you know it's just to me it's a really fluid volatile and also exciting and really robust time like full of potential so i would say you know as much as everyone's like what i'm always like the water's great come on in (laughs) so i hope i hope if you're out there and you're listening you'll make a comic and come take my job (laughs) <laughs> well no your job is definitely going to be secure I, I agree I'm with coming you. for his job <laughs> <laughs> no I'm just kidding I, uh, I, I agree with you a thousand percent I feel like in the whole streaming wars uh, it does seem like um, you know Netflix is becoming the new image in that way where they're like hey you know you don't you, you're not going to knock on the door of like the DC Universe app or the Marvel Disney app that's coming out soon but Netflix is like yeah bring your creator own stuff over you know, here and we'll give you everything you know but the, including the kitchen sink you know there you is know? a comic yeah, it's, that it's is a good wild, for that it's a really wild time you know what I mean so it's 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 one of those things where as much as people will bemoan the death of print and who knows? I mean, look, I mean, books go up and down. Print is hard. You know, you're moving into digital. I, I honestly think that there'll be, I think the stuff we're doing is going to boost DC really, really high in 2020 again. Oh, and then the stuff after that, they have really interesting plans for multiple, multiple different things that have, you know, expanding the line in different ways. The publishing line as a whole in different ways. And I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's one of those moments where, on the, on the surface, if you look at it one way, you could say, well, you know, our sales of uh, conventional superhero comics down or up or whatever, and they're, they're good, honestly, in a lot of ways, but there's systemic problems and things to fix about, you know, all kinds of returnability and variant covers and whatever, whatever. But at the same time, like, to me, a lot of that stuff can be granular when you look at it from 30,000 feet up and you say, yes, those are real problems and we have to fix them, but there's more interest in our characters and in comics and geek culture than ever before. Cons are bigger than ever before. More indie comics are being picked up every single day than ever before for TV film. Um, There's people interested in superhero comics across the world and more diverse creators out there than ever before with voices we haven't heard from all over the world, all genders, orientations, everything. You know, to me there's such potential in this moment in so many ways that you're missing the point if it's kind of like, well, how, how did DC do Q4 of 20? You know, they're not thinking that way, by the way, like quarter four, they're thinking 2021. We're making plans now, right now. I swear I have a summit at WonderCon with DC for 2021. Like, and not just, Oh, what are we doing with green arrow? I'm talking about publishing plans. Like, that means, you know, different lines, like Vertigo, Black Label, YA books, everything. So they're thinking, like, what's what's selling in big ways, you know, from the air when they look down at that landscape. Not, well, did this book with this one character get a little too, you know, this or that? They just don't. Yes, that stuff matters. That's editorial, and we care 100%. 
but th- that's not the barometer of the health of the industry. You know what I'm saying? That's mm-hmm. just, mm-hmm. that's that's a book living or dying by whatever factors it lives or dies by. You're talking about a company that's thinking about how do we get new readers from all over the world to love these characters at a moment when more people are interested than ever before and, and medium are changing and the distribution distribution mechanisms are changing all kinds of stuff, you know? So I don't know. I'm just really excited for right now. You know what I mean? I just, I know it's scary and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of challenges and there are challenges, but I just think to just look at one aspect of it, or one aspect of it under a microscope by measure of a few books or a few this or that is to miss the, you know, to look at, you know, really miss the forest for the trees, you know? Uh, definitely. Definitely for sure. I, Scott, thank you so much for um, sharing that, those words of wisdom. And we definitely enjoyed having this wonderful conversation. Yeah, we with really you. appreciate it. We're still doing it again soon. This was a blast. I will, let's do it again when, you know, Grim Knight comes out or when. That may last. Oh, we should make it a regular thing. It'd be a lot of fun, Ronnie and Marco. I'd appreciate it. Oh, yeah. No problem. <laughs>